Hello, and thank you once again for tuning in to ReptileApartment.com's The Reptile Living Room. I'm your host, John F. Taylor, as usual. We are brought to you by Comic Karma, your comic book journey destination. If you've been living under a rock and aren't into comics, you need to get into comics and check out Mike's website. Once again, ComicKarma.com, your comic book journey destination. This week's interview, we uh, get to speak with Brian Barchik of BHP Reptiles and Snake Bites TV fame. Uh, Brian talks to us about the politics of the industry, how he got involved in the industry, and even to begin with. And without further ado, we're just going to turn it over to our conversation that we have with Brian on the phone. Look forward to hearing your comments on the blog at reptileapartment.com. So, um, I guess the first question, Brian, would be, how did how did you get started? I mean, <laughs> where did you come up with wow. the idea to own, you know, half the reptiles in the world? And <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh, I only could wish I could have that many. But no, you know, it's funny. You know, I, I've I've told this story before. How I think it just has been in my blood my whole life. You know, I mean. Uh, you know, one of the stories I've, I've repeated over and over has been the fact that one of my early memories, one of one of my very first memories, and my mom says it was when I was two years old, I wasn't even three yet, was uh, going to a zoo and seeing a ball python. And, and, and obviously she didn't know what the ball python, but I can remember the snake so well, wow. even today, so vividly that I, I know it was a ball python. And, and I remember being captivated, and then just like any, you know, probably child reptile enthusiast that isn't growing up in a family that's very pet-oriented. As a matter of fact, I didn't, we didn't even have a dog. I mean, we had no pets my entire oh, wow. And uh, so it wasn't, I mean, this weird bug that I had about loving animals was something that was really just about me. And, and uh, but literally, you know, I, I went from loving the snakes and being fascinated and, you know, my parents buying me books about snakes and, and then of course the dinosaurs and, and then ultimately back to reptiles as I got older and was able to go to the zoo and, and to, you know, there was one or two, you know, local pet shops that had some cool reptiles in it and, and uh, back then, you know, that was really it. I mean, the entire state, you didn't go to every store had a reptile section. Right. There was really two places. So so really it was just a fascination and, and I never had this master plan of, of like, you know, having this huge collection i just knew that i wanted to work with animals and 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 really my biggest desire was reptiles but but of all animals i loved everything okay very cool now what was the first reptile species that you ever kept well you know it's funny i i this is the part that my recollection is always a little bit fake because a lot of things happen very quickly you know what i mean like like i i went from having nothing to having a lot really quick and 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 what I really did was actually my believe it or not the first thing I bought was uh, was a Burmese python. Whoa! <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, I talk about jumping into the fire. But uh, but I had been keeping like garter snakes and stuff like that. But not, again, never in the house. My parents wouldn't allow it. My mom wouldn't allow it. So I, I kept them in, like the garage. And then when they got cold, I'd have to let them go again. And uh, uh, but but then like I said, right around there, I, I bought a Burmese and I bought a boa. Uh, that ended up not having some problems, and then I traded actually for my first ball python, which was always the animal I wanted oh, with okay. the ball python. But but uh, as you're probably well aware, back then you know there weren't captive hatch ball pythons, and no one was breeding them, so it was a big nasty wild caught male that never ate. And, and wow. uh, you know I ended up force feeding it for almost two years before it eventually died, and it was really a terrible experience. But but during that two years, I, I was also acquiring corn snakes and. And you know all kinds of other things. So, so, like I said, I know it was like boa, berm, ball python, you know, right, and, right. in that kind of order. And 
other than that, there was just all kinds of insanity ensuing around me, you know. So it was definitely one of those things, like, I, I mean, you know, the, 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 the cork came out of the bottle, and when it came out, I mean, just, I just went from, like, I can have Everything a steak, happened. okay, bam, you know, I can have one steak, I can have 50 steaks, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was great. Cool. Now, how did you begin breeding reptiles? Well, you know, it's really funny. Um one of the world's biggest breeders now, of course, are, are Mark and Kim Bell from Reptile Industries, and they lived right down down the street from me. Oh, and, wow. Uh, and so <laughs> I, actually, I actually met them because I was working at a pet shop when I was 15 years old, and they used to supply us some reptiles. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, to, get, to tell you how far things have come, I mean, Mark had a monster collection back then, and Kim really wasn't that very involved with the business, as a matter of fact, hardly at all. And, uh, and and still, he only had about half of his basement full of, of colubrids, just colubrids. Wow. I think he might have had a couple other snakes, but mainly colubrids. And it was only not even half of a thousand square foot house, so you know it was probably maybe three hundred square foot of colubrids, and that was all that Mark had. But uh, but we became pretty good friends, and and, uh, and and as he grew, I started growing. And and really, the first two or three years of of me buying outside of those first few animals that I bought from the pet shop that I ultimately ended up working at. Um, almost everything I bought came from Mark and Kim for probably two or three years after that. It seemed like every time they produced something, I was first on their list to buy it. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um, now, what were some of the early issues that you ran into as far as breeding is concerned? You know, I don't know that there was any, like, really major issues other than the fact of, of maybe people not believing that I could do it. You know, I mean, I always wanted to breed snakes and I always wanted to be involved but again back then there wasn't an industry like there is now so um, it wasn't like I could say well hey I want to be like you know Mm because even Mark I mean I wanted to be like Mark but he even worked the job you know so it wasn't like I I could say oh I want to be like you name the breeder and I want to be like him so uh, so when I was telling my family and friends and, and all those other people that were in my life this is what I wanted to do. They they couldn't grasp it. So I think that was the biggest challenge was just getting support uh, from my family and my loved ones uh, that didn't just think I was absolutely out of my mind uh, that I could actually achieve it. And, and really, I tell you what, John, it was probably uh, a good ten years after I was making decent money. I mean, more money than I could have had a job uh, before they really realized that I was doing okay in life. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, in speaking of the industry. Um, in your opinion, what's the hardest part about being successful in this industry as it is today? Well, I think, you know, honestly, it's the politics. You yeah. know, I mean, I always say that the animals themselves are always a blast. You know, it's yep. the politics behind the business that are really difficult. And, and the bigger that you get as far as your name goes, the, the more difficult the politics are. And, and, and the more people that are gunning for you, you know, that bullseye gets bigger on your back. And, <laughs> and what, you know, when you, you know, something minor happens, when, when you know, you, you have a smaller name and a smaller collection, no one even knows about it. But, but when something minor happens, when you're a bigger name and a bigger collection, everyone knows about it. And right. every, you know, all of your, you know, the, all the people that want to see you fail for whatever their reasons are, you know, just relish in the fact that, that you made a mistake or something bad happened. And, and you know, yeah. and you can't be perfect. You can't be all things to all people. No. It's just like our, you know, our web show, you know, I mean, you know, snake people don't like it when I do skit. Skit people don't like it when I do all snakes. You know, I mean, right. you can't can't please everybody, and and so that's definitely by far the most difficult thing that I deal with on a daily basis is just trying to to de- you know navigate the politics and not mm-hmm. let the, the negativity of the industry sometimes drag me down and mm-hmm. try to keep the fact that I love the animals uh, you know kind of pumped up. Right, right. Now speaking of the you know negativity on the industry and stuff like that, what are your thoughts on 
reptile litigation, you know, not citing anything specific because, you know, depending on where you live, there's, you know, different laws or what have you. But yeah. just reptile litigation in, in generally, how do you think it's going to affect on the industry now and you personally being a breeder? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I think that the last two years we were under extreme fire. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, it was like we had uh, we had a lot of things were like aligned to go against us as, right. as an industry on the national level. You know, the state level is and even city level is is a big concern <laughs> to me because, of course, things can get passed in a, a local ordinance that that really don't doesn't have the, the the amount of people behind it. Like in my city that I live in, there's a no constrictor law, so I can't even keep snakes at my house. Um, and that's wow. something that passes very easily in the middle of the night without you knowing it. When when a bill like S three seventy three or H R six six nine come around, you know lots of people know about it. You get big mm-hmm. grassroots campaigns and stuff. So that the minor things are always going to be a concern, and the state and city level is always going to be a big concern. And I think that we need to support the U S ARCs of the world and even the PJACs of the world and continue right. to support those organizations. But uh, and, and and you know be be involved in them, not just support them financially. That's a big part of it, but also be involved. In the, in the grassroots part of it, but I think that the good news is is that we're in a lot better environment now than we were over the last two years as far as the politics go, um, and that, you know, like, the people in, that are making the decisions, passing the laws, are not in place like they were before, you know, I mean, right. really, and I'm not, you know, an advocate for Republican or Democrat, but the right. lot of the Democratic side was was really being special interest group to death by some of the organizations that were really anti-reptile, and the, and the Republican side right now is a little bit more you know friendly, business friendly, and, and because we're businesses, they don't want to take those rights away from us. So so we're in a better situation probably going forward for the next couple of years. But that doesn't mean that we can't we we could take a foot off the gas, and and that's one of the things that right. I'm so so you know so pro on is education. The more people that we get educated on reptiles, the less chance of these crazy laws that you literally, as a, as a reptile lover, you look at a law and you go, it's not even possible for something like this to pass. But but it does, because oh, yeah. most people don't think it's stupid. Most people, when they say, oh, you're going to outlaw pythons, well, well, why would someone want to have a python? That's crazy. Aren't those venomous? Exactly. Or, or, or poisonous, as most people would say. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't those pythons poisonous? And why would anyone want one of those? So... So, uh, so I think education is the big part, you know, getting the, the, the masses educated. And I'm not just talking about people that have mild interests. I'm talking about every person in the world that, right. uh, that we can possibly reach. And that's, uh, that's the big challenge for, for guys like me. Yeah. Now, um, speaking about uh, people uh, coming into the industry or, you know, thinking about getting into the industry, what advice would you give to, say, the new kid on the block, the new breeder? What would be, like, the top five things to tell a new breeder? Well, I think it really comes down to me just the top one for me, to be honest oh, okay. with you. Cool. You know, I think it's, 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 uh, it's do it for the right reason. Do it for the passion, you what you love. Uh, never do it for the money. Never make money your priority because you're never going to make the money you want to make and, and you're not going to enjoy the journey. Um, you know, it's kind of like that old thing, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Yep. And also, uh, you know, you know, you, you've got to, you know, the journey has to be as, 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 as much rewarding as the financial side. And, um, and if you do it for the right reasons, when people call me and say, you know, what project do you think I should work with? I say, what project do you like? What, 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 what cage yeah. do you want to open up every day? What cage do you want to clean every day? 
what animal are you going to be excited about looking at every single day because that's the project you're going to be the most successful with. If you're just, you know, if a dollar bill is in a cage and you could care less about it, then you shouldn't be doing it. And, and that's really, it, it, you know, it, that advice, if you take it and expound upon it across the board, will, will really take you to success because, you know, you're, if you're enjoying what you're doing and loving your animals, you're going to be more successful on a business side because you're going to be more profitable because you're going to produce more plus you're going to really enjoy the, the 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 thing and i used to always it was always funny how i saw the industry like you know the the guys that got into the burmese pythons because there was big money in burmese and then they got out of the burmese and they got into leopard geckos and then they went from leopard geckos <laughs> to you know and i always thought like wow how do you make a jump from burmese to leopard geckos and then yeah. from leopard geckos to ball pythons and then ball pythons to hog nose and, and you find people just following like what the, the latest trend is Right, and I always say, don't chase the trend. You know, yeah. if you if you love ball pythons, get into ball pythons. If you love corn snakes, get into corn snakes. You know, do what you love, and, and, right. and make a niche for that love, and and and, and hopefully you'll be on the right side of of the the, the demand. But uh, but you know that that's that's the advice I give everyone, and I live by that advice uh, on every decision I make. Yeah, well, I think your bio on Twitter says it all. You know, it's just, I clean snake poop. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, exactly, that, yeah. that is the best thing, you know, that I've ever seen anybody put on a bio for anything reptile-related. You know, I yeah, clean that, snake poop. That's just, that's what we do, you know? That's just, that's... Well, that's the thing. The day that, I always say the day that I'm not a snoop snake poop cleaner will be the day that I want to get out of the business. I mean, yeah. I, uh, you know, I often, you know, fill that out and, and, and things, you know, professional snake poop cleaner and, um, and, and you know, because that's what I do. You know, exactly. I, I mean, yeah, you know, you know, and, and the reality of it, you know, I know that I remember seeing an interview once to, you know, big, big name, you know, mm-hmm. uh, big wig, not in the reptile industry that said, you know, the more successful you become, the less you do what made you successful which is, is really a tr- very, very, very yeah. true statement, and it's a very sad statement. And it's certainly true in my life. I spend a lot less time cleaning snake poop than I used to, uh, sure. and, and it's something I miss terribly. I mean, I always tell my crew that, you know, hey, if you want to switch eight hours of the day with me, I would switch in a second. You know, let me just go out there and spot clean and water snakes and feed snakes, and, and you can come and deal with all the stuff that I have to deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I love what I do, and I even love a lot of the things I do business-wise. I love the majority of the things I do business-wise, but uh, but the fact is I'm still just a glorified snake poop cleaner. Right, right. Now, something, uh, going back to, you know, making money and breeding and uh, what have you, you recently did a show, um, and I don't recall the exact name of it, but it was something about snakes making money. Yeah, snakes make me money. Was snakes make money. That's the one I was talking about. Now, what factors? Because I know you can't, you know, give us exact specifications, but kind of give us an overview of what factors go into pricing the reptiles that you sell. What are you looking for? When yeah, you, when you know, you go it, to pricing and it, stuff. Yeah, it's funny. I'm like the worst person in the world when it comes to being the, the leader of a pricing situation. It's <laughs> like I don't ever know what value my animals are. I mean, you know, I, I'm really a follower more than I'm a leader. And when I have like one of a kind animals that no one else has, mm-hmm. it's really, really difficult for me to put a price on them because I'm I, I like don't know if I should, if I put it at this, it's too high, and people are going to think I'm crazy. If I put it too low, then I'm going to make people mad. So I try my hardest to like number one when I'm pricing my stuff. I try try my hardest to like take the lows out of it and take mm-hmm. the highs out of it and kind of be somewhere in the middle 
you know, uh, and, and then when it comes to something brand new, I try to take something that I can relate to, say, okay, well, it's kind of like this animal, so I'm going to price it accordingly. But, uh, but I'm, I tell you that, unfortunately, the money side of the industry is probably my weakest point. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to someone earlier today about saying how, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we have a large following of people, especially on the video side of our house, and, right. and yet I, I can't seem to figure out a way to, to monetize that, you know, and I mean, you get people that, that basically are, are, are taking huge sums of money from corporations that have a tenth of the people that we get out to, and, and they're getting all this money, and I, and I don't I don't get anything, you know, I get, yeah. a, you know, bottled water from ZooMed, you know, and that's, yeah, exactly. you know, that's, that's my payment, and, and I guess that's okay, because again, it makes it kind of pure, because I'm not in anyone's back pocket, but Right, but uh, but that's it is hard when when it comes to pricing animals and selling animals. But but that being said, I cannot stress enough that I always tell people I'm never embarrassed that I make money off of animals. Uh, right. There's there's a very fine line between animal exploitation and, and making a living with animals. And as long as you don't cross that line and you're doing it for the reason because you love the animal, you're going to care for the animal, you're going to give the animal the best thing. You're also got the conservation end and the fact that you're producing captive animals, which is really right. not the wild caught animals, and so on and so forth. You know, I'm not embarrassed of that, and you're never going to make me feel bad about what I do oh, as yeah. long as you need to do it the right way. But but the money side is definitely something I, I really wish I could relinquish over to someone that's much smarter than I am. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, um, speaking along kind of along the same lines there, um, what would be some of the best practices you would tell someone about? keeping reptiles in a captive environment and selling them, you know, to make profit? Well, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, you know, just make sure you're doing it for the right reason and not right. the wrong reason. And, um, you know, make sure that you're never making a decision on the animals that are based financially. And, and you know, my, I think that's when you won't cross over to exploitation. Is oh, when, okay. you treat, when you treat a, a normal ball python the same as you treat a piebald or a pin pied or an mm -hmm. inferno, if you if you if you're willing to give the same care to a twenty dollar snake as you are a twenty thousand dollar snake, then you aren't you aren't doing anything wrong in my eyes. But you have to keep that you have to keep that same focus. As a matter of fact, I remember a little anecdote was uh, when I brought in the first albino Honduran milk snakes. I, I spent a lot of money, obviously, and there was a lot riding on this project. And that goes back to like not knowing what to sell stuff for, but. I, I was uh, surprised that people were willing to pay $3,000 a piece for baby albino Honduran milk snakes. And, and the first year I had, you know, two males, or I think it was, yeah, it was two males, and I was breeding into like six or seven big female Hondurans just to produce a bunch of heterozygous because hats were even selling for 3000 a pair. And um, I've been breeding Hondurans for years and, and, and with all kinds of success. And all of a sudden I breed these two male albino Hondurans, and I get literally, I got 90 slugs that year. Ninety, not one fertile egg the first year, and and what I figured out is that I wasn't treating them like a Honduran. I was treating them like something more than a Honduran, and so I went back the following year and I just said these are normal Hondurans. These are just normal that are pretty. You know, I'm not. I'm going to keep them right alongside my Honduran. Same temperature, same you know, same feeding, everything. And and I banged. I mean, I banged the next year like you couldn't believe. So. So again, it, sometimes I always put that in my head that you know it's just an animal; it's the same as every other animal, and I treat everything the same. And that way, when you do it kind of purely like that, you're making great business decisions because things work out, and you're not exploiting the animals just for the dollar bill. Right, right. Now, um, what brought you about to work with the specific species? You know, the ball pythons you work with now. What what was it about the ball python that you know really just grabbed you? 
well, again, it goes back to that that story back when I was a kid. You know, really? when okay. I was a little kid and seeing that ball python, I, I just I've, I've been fascinated with them. And as a matter of fact, you know, as you're well aware, I, I work with tons of different species beyond ball pythons. Right. Ball pythons are one of my my big things, obviously. And I remember really back in the day uh, when when really me, Kevin McCurley from Nerd, and Tracy Barker from VPI were like the only three people in the country that wanted to even keep ball pythons. Unless, you know, Bob Clark was getting into the albino stuff and, and Pete Call was doing the pied stuff. But if it wasn't albino pied, literally every ball python that came in with either me, Kevin, or Tracy, and, uh, and, and everyone made fun of us. Like, we were idiots. Wow. You know? And, and so I was doing it just because I loved them. I mean, I just was, like, in love with that little cute face that they have, that duck bill thing going on. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're just such an incredible animal. And, and I remember, as a matter of fact, going back to Mark Bell, and, uh, and again, he's a lot like I am. Has, you know, we, I think we both have memories like elephants. And, and, and one day he, like, made fun of me at dinner saying something like, hey, why don't you go play with your ball pythons, you know? Ha, 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 you know, like. Uh. And, and, uh, and, and I remember, um, like, four or five years later, the ball python thing started to take off. And, and sure enough, Mark it came up to me and said, hey, you remember when I made fun of you about that? <laughs> and he said, I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do remember. And he said, uh, he goes, man, I was really, I goes, I missed the boat on this one. He goes, you hit it good. And then, you know, what? I, my response was, of course, that, you know, hey, I was no prognosticator or anything like that. Right. What happened was I was just working with something I really loved, and I was in the right place at the right time. And, and I think in business in general, you know, whether you're doing, you know, cars or, or snakes or, or selling homes, a lot of times you have to be in the right place at the right time. Right. And, uh, and and I've been fortunate enough on, on a number of occasions in my career to just be into the right project when before it hits, you know, and when it hits, I'm I'm already into it, you know, and I'm right. not, like I said earlier, I'm not chasing a project. Right. right. I, I'm I'm basically getting things rolling, and that's that's one of the things I try not to do is I try never to chase a project. If if I like it, I get into it. If I don't like it, I don't get into it. And if a project is at a point where I feel people are chasing, it's the wrong time to buy that project. To be totally right. Honest. Yeah. I mean, you never want to buy the project at the highest point. You know, you always want to try to to wait till it. You know, sometimes it's it, it's there's sometimes when you buy an animal, say it's five thousand dollars, and you know it's coming down, it's okay. You go, all right, I'm going to buy this for 5000 If I could sell it for 1500 I can make my money back because I'm going to be able to do this and this and this and this. And then there's other right. times that you go, it's $5,000. It's better for me to wait because it's going to be 500 next year. And even though I'm going to lose a year, I'm going to make my time up, you know, because now I can buy 10 of them instead of one of them. Right. You know, and, uh, and, and so, you know, again, I, I try really hard never to chase projects. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, what made you stay with reptiles? over the years versus getting into, you know, say, exotic dogs for some, you know, for yeah. some other reason. And, you know, what yeah. made you stick with the reptiles versus the cute and cuddly stuff that, you know, yeah. that you know is everybody wants one? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I, I am a huge animal lover. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I'm one of those guys that there's very few animals I don't absolutely want to keep. You know, I mean, from I always tell people that my favorite animal on the earth is a giraffe, you know, and, and I one day really hope I have giraffes. I mean, that's a goal in my life is to have giraffes one day. And, uh, and But that's not just giraffes. I mean, it's, it's the only animal that I don't personally want to keep is are primates. You know, I, I don't believe in keeping primates. I think that, hey, zoos can do it because there's the conservation side to it, and that's fine, but I would never want to keep a primate in captivity. Outside of that, there's not really, and then, of course, you know, dolphins stuff like that, but you know right. what I'm saying, 
because, yeah. you know, there's not very many other animals I wouldn't want to keep and breed. Uh, but reptiles, there's just, and not even reptiles, more, more exclusively snakes. There's something about snakes that was much more appealing to me than almost any other animal I worked with. I just, I just again, going back to that early stage, and, and again, when I was probably seven or eight, there was woods right down the street for me, and, and I used to beg my friends every day to go garter snake hunting, you know? I just, uh, I just, it's just, again, I think it's something that's born with you, and, and again, it's not something you're raised with all the time, and you can certainly, it's a learned trait, you can certainly learn it, but like I said, I came from a family that had no animal interest whatsoever, and I had, I had no one that I knew that kept reptiles my entire youth, yet I still was just completely drawn to that particular species, not species, but that type of animal. Wow, that's amazing. Now, who would you say is your greatest inspiration for choosing uh, reptiles? along the way you know it's funny I, I don't know that there's one like i said you know from a breeder standpoint certainly mark and kim bell had the biggest influence on me because okay. i was young and they really helped me through and and i'll never ever for, forget that uh as far as that there was a whole host of, of the, the, the you know who's uh on tv that i loved i mean there was a guy named harry butler who's an australian that was way before steve Irwin. uh you know of course i loved went to death, but uh, he came, I was already well into my career when Steve Irwin came onto the scene. Right. Um, you know, Harry Butler was his predecessor, and, and trust me, he was absolutely incredible. And, you know, the Boyd Mattons of National Geographic and the Mutual of Omaha's, and I mean, th those shows really, you know, drove me uh, tremendously when I was a kid, and every time I could get a chance to watch them, and, and then obviously, you know, a little bit older, the Jack Hannas, and, and of course, the oh, yeah. Irwin you know, came about, and, and they've been, and that's, they've inspired me, those, those guys have, have inspired me to do bigger things than just keep reptiles, and, and it's great to now, you know, be friends with Jack Hanna, and, and, and you know, know him personally, and, and get a chance to hang out with him a bit, and, um, I, I, I really wish I would have been able to meet Steve, unfortunately, it just didn't happen, but, uh, right. um, but, uh, but yeah, there's so many people, I think I, that's the thing, I'm, I'm a person that's rarely influenced by one person but often influenced by everybody yeah and uh and there were so many people that were were really my heroes and, and there's guys really this is the one thing that i i really really believe strongly in is the um is the people that came before us you know the, the ernie wagners and the time wideners and 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 you know the list can go on and on and on steve ruiz or not steve ruiz, he's a great guy too but john ruiz um mm -hmm. you know guys that did this that no one even knows about anymore. They don't even know their name. I yeah, mean, I exactly. Think, hey, you know, hey, Ernie Wagner's a great guy. You know, 99% of the people in the reptile people who's, so, well, who's Ernie Wagner, you know? And, and those were my poster child. You know, those are the people that were on my board. And and, uh, and even guys like Tom Crutchfield, you know, I mean, I know he's a little bit of a, 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 a you know, character in a sense, but, but sure. I, mean, I really appreciated guys like him when I was young. I mean, he was, you know, and he's always been great to me. I have the utmost respect for Tom. But, uh, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, I remember just waiting with bated breath for his herptofauna list, you know, back in the day and, and, um, and pet farm list, you know, when you, you yeah. couldn't wait to see what was going to be on the list, you know, and there's a 15 foot Nile crocodile and, and you, yeah. know, I mean, you just don't know. And, uh, so, so those were the guys that I grew up, uh, idolizing and, and I never even had a chance to meet them. And that's what's so awesome about, I think, the, the society today is with the Internet and all the things that go on is that, you know, the people that are, are the new poster people for, for the, you know, the, the, the people coming up in the industry, you know, you can really, if you do it right, you can actually know the people. I mean, and that's what I try to do 
you know, John, I'm really big about this, and I know you know this, is that I want people to know me. I want everyone to know me through my Facebook, through my Twitter, through right. my community site, through my Snakebite site. You know, I mean, I'm very, you know, transparent, and I want people to, to, to get to know who I am, not just my animals. And in the past, like I said, the people that were my, you know, the people that I put up on my posters, you know, I didn't even, I've never, never met them. I never even heard them talk. I didn't know what they felt about every issue you could imagine. Right. And, uh, it, you know, but I knew their animals, and that was all I knew. Now you can actually get to know the people and who yeah. they are and what they feel about me. You know, you know, if anyone follows me on Twitter or Facebook, they'll see, you know, that I, I love ghosts and I, I'm terrified of spiders and I'm terrified oh, yeah. of I'm terrified of bridges, and I, I don't like to eat tomatoes. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, people get to know far, me far beyond what I produce, but actually, my my real you know opinions on things, and and I think that's something that uh, is really special. And I think that as a as a, a, a kind of quote unquote name breeder, it would be almost a shame if I wasn't willing to embrace that and share all those things with the people that really admire what we do because after all if it isn't for the people that follow us and admire what we do we're nothing you know we're you know and, and that's the one thing that I never you know get get out of my mind is that everybody that supports us in every endeavor we do they mean so much to my success and I just want to give back to them as much right. as I possibly can yeah and that's something you know that you're always constantly doing you know is you're definitely very transparent to all the fans and stuff like that, you know, and you're always definitely giving back to them, you know, through the information that you're, you know, you're just constantly available. I mean, you know, our, you know, our friendship, you know, literally started through the social network. You know, one day we just con happened to, you know, pop up on each other's radar. And like, hey, I want to talk to that guy. Next thing you know, you know, here I am doing an interview with you. So, I mean... <laughs> It really doesn't get any more transparent than that. You know, we've had several conversations before now where, you know, we've talked about the industry as a whole and what have you. And Yeah, it's you're definitely uh, reaching the audience, very definitely. Well, and I think that's, you know, again, I just I think that's the right thing to do. I'm not saying that every breeder should do it because it's not for everyone. It's a very time-consuming, taxing place to be you know yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of weight to carry you know they have to try to keep up with everything and and uh, it increases your workload exponentially let me tell right. you but, but to me it's all worth it i mean it's yeah. every bit of it because uh it's almost like you know you feel a little narcissistic at times because you almost like all of a sudden start feeding off of how many people follow you or something and, <laughs> and you try not to let that that be a driving force by any right. stretch. but the point is is that you know you really you, you, you start to really appreciate all those people that follow you. And, and as a matter of fact, I remember Jack Hanna saying that to me uh, when we were doing a, a gig once uh, where he asked me to come in to be the reptile guy at a show that he was doing. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that's what he said. You know, he's like, you know, these, everyone out there in the audience that came to see me, they're what make me who I am. You know, right. and if, I can't ever forget that. You know, I can't. And, and, and this, uh, that's a huge superstar, you know, that had that attitude. And I'm just a, a slowly snake poop cleaner. So, so uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, a kind of, you know, it's a concept that you have to grab and really hold on to. But I understand that the majority of my peers would, you know, they, they would never do the things I would do because it just doesn't, it doesn't equate to money. Number one, uh, at least. You know, openly, you know, maybe on the right. backside it does. Um, and, and number two, it's just you have to love people as much as you love the animals. And, and 
that's a hard combination. I mean, there's a lot of great animal people that are really, really great friends of mine that are terrible, terrible people. People, you know, what I mean, they, they just they, their their people skills are horrible, and that's right. why they probably should work with animals. And and I'm just fortunate to to kind of have a love of both. You know, I love interacting with people, and I also love working with the animals. So I kind of feel like, hey, this is maybe my calling, and maybe I can be the, you know, one one of the the the, the guys that you know. It's the voice of the industry, hopefully. Yeah, very definitely. Now, what, uh, speaking back again to the industry, what are some of the major changes that you've seen personally in the industry since you've started? I tell you, it's been so unbelievable, it's almost hard to, to sum it up. And, and I did a, a talk recently uh, on this very topic uh, in Houston at the ETHS, um, and it was really the birth of the the, the Internet is what yeah. industry. Um, you know, the industry. The, 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 the hobby isn't anything like it used to be. You can't even compare when I started to it now. And it, it pretty much all of those changes are directly related to the Internet. Right. And, and I think that 99% of those changes are extremely positive. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, just what's happened in the last couple of years with social networking has been, a, it's been amazing what's done to the hobby. But before that, certainly the forums and, and the websites and, and, and being able to email pictures rather than, you know, snail mail them and, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's been some amazing changes. And, and I think that any reptile guy, even even guys that have been around for a little while like I have, if they're not embracing that new net technology, they're really missing out because the Internet is a fantastic thing. But, of course, you know, along with the Internet, you know, comes, you know, some negatives, you know. And, and you know, you um, you know that just goes along with it. You know, you have people that will say things and trash you and this and that on the oh, net. Yeah. Because they won't do it to your face, you know, but they'll do yeah. it behind your back or, or whatever. And um, But that's just part of it. You know, you have to take the good with the bad. And like I said, I think overwhelmingly the Internet is good. And, and then there's that little faction of bad that goes along with sure. it. You know, and those, those Internet wars are terrible. But, but that's really what changed the industry, just the fact that we were able to, to you know, it's, again, in this talk, I, I kind of, you know, you know, go through a typical, like, now and then type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. back then. You know, someone would call you on the phone and you would say, yeah, I have that uh, Burmese python for sale, you know. And, you know, no one would ever say how many grams would it weigh because uh, no one gave a crap back then about that. Yeah. <laughs> they would they would say, okay, well, could you, you know, could you pick me the nicest one out? And then, then you'd go, okay, you know, never send me pictures. And, and then, of course, you would have to, you know, figure out a day that they could pick it up from the airport and you'd have to drive to right. the airport, you know, 45 minutes away. And now, you know, uh, now the now is, of course, you know, someone calls me on my cell phone, you know, as I'm talking to him, I take a picture of the animal in the cage, text it over to him. Right. Say, yeah, I want that. Let me PayPal you right now on their iPhone. They right. PayPal me their thing. I immediately get the payment, and then you know, 20 minutes later, I'm calling FedEx to come pick up the package. They got it the next morning. You know, exactly. It, 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 it's such an awesome thing to be able to see the change, and just that that accessibility to the hobby is just so incredible. And I think that's that's really what exploded the hobby to where it is now. And and, and I can only hope that the growth continues to go forward yeah definitely now somebody on twitter actually wanted me to ask you about uh rubber boas and the possibility <laughs> of you shipping some rubber boas over to the uk and wow. my response yeah. was as long as all the paperwork is done <laughs> improper yeah. and legal i have no recollection why brian would not be able to send you rubber boas over to the uk <laughs> if he has them in stock yeah, I you know, and, and unfortunately, I don't work with rubber boas, so I can't okay. help them there. Um, I do not know what the the uh, you know. I, I know I'm pretty sure they're a sighted animal, but yeah, I think uh, they are but, too. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, again, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure you can get paperwork for them, and I'm sure it's no different right. than a rosy boa or something like that, you know. Right. Um, the problem with rubber rubber boas are that they need to be kept really cool. If you if you keep a rubber boa over about 72, 73 degrees, it just doesn't do well. Right. And a lot of times over your state die. And, and so uh, I don't have a facility that I can go, okay, well, I can have a 72-degree room where I can keep my rubber boas. And, right. And, uh, I mean, they're very interesting animals, and I had a really good friend of mine here in Michigan that was obsessed with rubber boas. Oh, wow. You know, and, and uh, so, so I had plenty of exposures to rubber boas over the years because every show that I used to go to with my friend, he used to buy every rubber boa he could find. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and all he wanted to talk about was rubber boas, and, and they're really awesome, incredible animals. And, yeah, and they are. Such a, yeah, such a unique animal, obviously, to the Pacific North west and and um something that that uh, you know we as americans probably don't um appreciate that we have right. a, a hidden gem that lives what, right in our border very definitely now um speaking of shows uh are you gonna make it out to the west coast anytime soon as far as shows are concerned yeah i'm really 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 hoping i'm going to you know i obviously i missed anaheim with a little bit of a health issue this year and uh right, right. And, and it it was really tough because that's the only time i normally make it out to the west coast and uh for a show that is i usually get out there for other things um and but uh i'm looking at that pomona show in january really real seriously okay. um there's there you know I, it, nothing's in place yet you know right. so there's no promises but but I, I really would love to get out there and see all the people that always support us because honestly you know uh, Anaheim is, is when we do the Anaheim show it's probably our largest group of supporters uh, that we ever go to I mean you know right. it, it's where I'll take more pictures and sign more people stuff than anywhere I ever go and right. uh, so so I really feel a lot of admiration to that part of the country and and. I, I hate to not be able to be there for him, and it was a really hard thing when I had to pull out at the very last minute of that show. So I'm hoping that I can make it down there to the Pomona show. I've heard it, I've heard really good things about that show, and and, uh, and now it's just a question of how do I get there. And you know, it, it's one thing to get your animals over there in September; it's a whole different thing to get animals over there in January. Right? Are so you shipping in the middle of winter, or, or you decide, am I going to drive? You know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it's something I'm. I'm especially the breeders, I always ask, would you recommend the species that you breed? Now, since you do have several species of reptile that you breed, um, what would be the top three species that we could purchase from you directly that you would recommend for an apartment setting? Because, you know, the website is dedicated to, you know, apartment living and reptiles. So what would be the top three species in your collection that you could recommend to people living in an apartment? Yeah, real easy for me. It would be ball pythons, corn snakes, and hognose. I mean, those would be the three three snakes that I I think are the the coolest three species I work with for anybody. I like a lot of obscure species that obviously aren't apartment size. Um, But uh, but those three species are fantastic. There's lots of different paint jobs and cool color morphs. They have uh, they all three of them have incredible personalities. None of them get very big, and it pretty much. I tell you what, if you can't find a hog nose, a ball python, or a corn snake to fit your needs, then you probably shouldn't be a reptile person. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have to agree (laughs) with you there. Now, um, speaking of ball pythons, um, Mm -hmm. you've been working with the spider morphs a lot lately, it seems. Yeah. Where, um, 
I guess I want to ask, what's new on the horizon for the Spider-Mores? If you can tell us a you little know, bit. You gosh, I, I have no idea what's on the horizon for anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not that I don't, I don't uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I dream of things all the time. But, right, right. Uh, but, you know, it, it's endless. I mean, you know, uh, you know, whether it comes down to, to you know, to, when it comes down to ball pythons in particular, um, literally, I won't live long enough to see the last mutation. Right. You know, there's right. no way. I, I could live to be 100, and there's still going to be new mutations being produced, barring some calamity that we can't breed snakes anymore. Right. Uh, so, so I don't, you know, year to year, I, I get asked a lot, you know, what are you excited oh, about? Sure. What are you hoping to produce? And, and I always say, you know, I don't, I, I get excited about everything. As a matter of fact, one of the sayings that I, I, I've, I've really lived by is the day that I don't get excited producing an albino corn snake is the day I want to get out of snakes. Um, okay. So I'm really excited about every single snake I hatch, and sure, it's always awesome to, I think we produced about 14 or 15 brand new pythons this year, new morphs that no one had produced yet, nice. and uh, and it's always great to, to produce the first of something. I mean, oh, yeah. I'd be lying to say that it's not, you know, when you yeah. get a out, of course it's exciting. But, you know, at the same time, I'm just as excited when I'm hatching, uh, well, maybe not just as excited, but I'm pretty excited when I'm hatching every other type too, and and sure. uh, and I have no doubt that this year, you know, 2011 will be, um, you know, crazy. And and the one thing that's it's, it should be inspiring or inspiring for the the, the smaller breeder is the fact mm-hmm. that the, 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 the playing field has been leveled a lot. You know, back five years ago, or even maybe four years ago, it was pretty much only the big breeders that were going to produce that first time animal. Now it's to the point where you know, just as many small guys are producing, you know, that one and first time incredible snake as the big breeders are. And uh, and I personally think that that's a really healthy thing for our hobby as long as the smaller breeders respect the hobby as much as the bigger breeders do. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, uh, once again, we're on the, uh, online with Brian Barchick from uh, BHP Reptiles and Snake Bites TV fame and uh, just want to... Uh, say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us well yeah no i well i appreciate everything you do obviously john and i appreciate uh, your followers as well and and hopefully um you know we can just keep blowing this hobby up until until every uh every apartment in the united states has a reptile how's that sound there we go <laughs> that'll work for me very good <laughs> and so there you have it that was brian barchick from bhp reptiles and snakebites.tv that's bites b y t e s and if you'd like to help brian in his movement to get his own show on television so you can actually watch him uh via discovery channel or whichever channel decides to pick him up you can join the movement on facebook at put snake bites tv on television and that's a facebook movement that's currently going on to help brian get his own television show and we are definitely a supporter of that as well. Uh, once again, please check out reptileapartment.com, the blog. Leave some comments. Leave some notes about what you'd like to see on the show upcoming. Um, next week, we are speaking with Marsha McGinnis from Golden Gate Geckos. And she reveals some of her secrets as far as breeding geckos and just the whole gecko industry as a whole. It's a really awesome interview. And you also learn a little bit about what the mogul is as far as uh, mogul.com. That's M-O-G-L.com. So look forward to seeing you next week, and we will talk to you then. 
Thanks very much for tuning in to reptileapartment.com's The Reptile Living Room.